Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith in public life. I'm George Mason, your host, and I'm thrilled to welcome to the program today a broadcast legend in Texas and especially in Dallas-Fort Worth, Jody Dean. Jody, thank you for coming and joining me for this conversation. Thank you, George. That, that makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a big setup, isn't it? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I said never. the worst thing in the world is trying to follow a long introduction or one like that because now I've got to live up to it. Well, I think you've been living up to it for a very long time, and it's, uh, it's, it's kind of almost eerie having uh, your voice coming through uh, in this conversation because I'm used to not seeing you and hearing you on the radio, <laughs> uh, but we've also seen you on television doing the news and other things, and uh, even a new show that you've just begun two weeks ago, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing more about that. Uh, but uh, in any case, this program, Jody, is uh, about the connection between faith and public life, uh, good God, and it's, uh, it's really both sides of that, uh, that phrase. So, so it's about God and about good, and uh, so we're going to explore that together in this and the next conversation. Uh, I'd like to get started, though, because you've talked about your own faith journey in pretty uh, significant ways uh, across time and in various formats. Uh, here we are in Dallas-Fort Worth, and it is really a, uh, Dallas is a, a place where you can be a public figure and be honest about your own spiritual life without embarrassment. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, uh, in, in your uh, radio life and TV life and, uh, and, and writing, you've, you've done just that. Tell us about uh, your early experiences of faith and, and the journey of, of your faith, uh, the arc of it across time. Oh, gosh. Uh, there's not enough bandwidth. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess the most important thing I could say is that I have a great foundation. Uh, my, I grew up in a Church of Christ slash Baptist home. My mom was Church of Christ. My dad was Baptist. Uh, there was a tussle when I got to be a senior in high school about whether I was going to go to Abilene Christian or Baylor, and my mom and my grandmother prevailed. Uh, my grandfather, William Harbuck, was a deacon at the Wallace Street Church of Christ in San Saba, Texas, and I I, I grew up with some amazing people. Uh, my, my pop wasn't particularly religious until he got older and became ill, and suddenly he, he got very serious about his faith, but uh, my mom and grandmother were uh, amazing people. My grandfather, Dada, was the most uh, wonderful man I think I've ever known, uh, but uh, all the Sunday school classes and vacation Bible schools, some of it took, apparently, <laughs> and uh, it, you know, it, it was, uh, I, I got to see it firsthand. I've, I've talked about this before. My sister was profoundly disabled and died when I was six years old. She was 12, and I got to see my mom and my pop's faith uh, in action every day, and, and sometimes it wasn't faith. It was just doing what they had to do, you know. It, right. was, just, it was just forging on, uh, but, uh, you know, to see my mom feeding and, uh, and, and caring for my sister. Uh, it wasn't just a matter of abstracts. It was, it was right there in front of me. And like I said, you know, the, the congregations, the churches I attended, the people that I knew growing up, uh, the, the wealth of diversity, uh, my friends who were of many different faith traditions, uh, just, I, I was very blessed. I, I had it very, very good. Well, you, you say the diversity, uh, but you know, 
I would say that when when you talk about growing up Church of Christ in Fort Worth, that doesn't, <laughs> that diversity is not the first word that comes to mind for me. Well, you know, I do tell people that I am a recovering Campbellite uh, <laughs> because, yeah, I can remember when we used to argue about whether you could wear pants on Wednesday night, where, right. whether women's could wear, women could wear slacks. Uh, and it was a very traditional background, but my mom and pop, uh, you know, my, my, my dad thought Archie Bunker was the hero on all of the family <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah. and voted for George Wallace in 1968. Right. But my first real girlfriend in junior high school was a, a lovely young, uh, Latina. And, uh, uh-huh. I still see her every once in a while. Cause you know, Fort Worth's the smallest big town in America. We, nobody leaves, everybody loves right. it and everybody stays. And uh, they never said a word and they never said a word. One of my best friends growing up in junior high school was a young man by the name of Edward Newton, and he played one defensive tackle on our middle school team. I played the other, and he was Jethro Pugh, and I was Bob Lilly. We even wore the same number, 75 and 74. Uh And, uh, you know, my pop would occasionally take Edward home after practice, and Edward's dad would take me home after practice, and uh, you know, never a word was said and they allowed me to be me. And sometimes that wasn't the best idea, but you know, I'm forever grateful that they did that. You know, you talk about the way they, uh, cared for your sister. And I I think that's a really beautiful story. When you, when we talk about faith, there's, uh, for many people, it's about believing the right things. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, but you're describing a a kind of uh, beautiful synergy between believing and behaving that you were able to witness in that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very difficult. Uh, We had an oxygen machine and a suction machine in our home. uh, Cerebral palsy, if I remember, is that right? Uh, Yes, uh, pretty much. Uh, She was deprived of oxygen during birth. And uh, so she had a number of problems. I mean, this isn't that long ago. And it was basically because my parents' blood types didn't match. Uh But they lost five children in all, not Uh just Susan, but they had, you know, stillbirths, miscarriages. uh, And and so Mm -hmm. they had dealt with a great deal of sorrow. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, the best example I can give you is that I have a book of my mom's poems that she wrote. She was a singer, and she mm-hmm. performed in the opera when she was younger. Wow. She became a school teacher. She sang in the USO during World War II. Mm-hmm. And so she would write down a lot of her thoughts while she would be up late at night, not only with Susan, but with me. I was very sick as a kid. I spent mm-hmm. most of my early life in the hospital because I had asthma very badly. I had to have a lung removed when I was sick. So mom would write all this stuff down. Mm-hmm. And so I go back and read that, and it's like reading the book of Lamentations. And oh, wow. Yeah, and and I get chills when I think about it. And I listen to the songs that she would sing. And, you know, she wanted desperately to be a mom. And she felt, I think, throughout most of her life that she was deprived of that honor. And yet I don't know of anyone who served that role more dutifully or more beautifully than she did. And, uh, you know, I saw a story years ago, and I wish I could find it. I haven't been able to track it down. But there's a village in Southeast Asia that has an enormous ratio of children who have birth defects. And I hate to use the word defect because I, I wonder sometimes if our perspective isn't a little warped on that. Uh, but because of that, their mothers have been forced to carry them around their entire lives and they grow up literally conformed to the shape of their mother's body. Oh my goodness. What a and, story. You know, that, that strikes me as be conformed. Therefore, you know, that's oh, very thing. nice. Yes. You know, and, and my mom was like that. I mean, she was, she was conformed to us. She was conformed to uh, love uh. and she, she lived it. And that didn't mean she didn't doubt. Um, you know, I learned from my mom very early on that it's okay to yell at God. Really? And it's not like he hasn't heard it before. And, you know, and, and she just, she didn't always get an answer, 
you know, she didn't always, surely didn't get the answer she wanted. So, you know, I, I grew up encouraged to question, encouraged to ask, and I will show you things you've never imagined, that sort of thing. And, and it's, he's followed through throughout my life. It's sometimes in spite of me. So there's, there's a, a, a beautiful story of how uh, in your family you watched faith coexist uh, with suffering and mm-hmm. with, with, uh, with loss, and, and, and it made your mom cherish life and, and family even more. Mm. But when you talk about your mom and pop, uh, we should clarify, too, that uh, you were a gift to that family. Oh, boy. Yeah, I was the chosen and child. Yeah. You, you really were. So you were adopted into this family. <laughs> yeah, I understood Moses uh, very early on. And I understood that he killed that Egyptian not because of a sense of justice, because he was mad. He had no idea or sense of who he was. Mm-hmm. And I grew up angry. And I didn't admit it. I didn't even realize it. Uh, but I, I was like, well, why would anyone give a child away? Uh, and, you know, late in life or later in life, I, I found my birth parents, and uh, it, that's another miracle story. Um, I'll tell you a quick vignette from it. Uh, my birth mother and father were not married, mm-hmm. and when my birth mother found out my birth father was married to someone else, she decided not to open the can of worms and put me up mm-hmm. for adoption. And so when I found my birth family, uh, I found my aunt and uncle Gloria and Ralph Carnes first. And when I was talking to Gloria at one point, she said, you need to talk to Glisten. And I said, who is Glisten? And she said, well, that's the woman your father was married to when he cheated and conceived you. And oh my gosh. Okay. So I called that woman up out of the blue and we became very good friends. She loved my father till the day she died. She never remarried. She just couldn't trust him, Mm -hmm. uh, which sounds a lot like the apple didn't fall far from the tree. It fell at the base. Um, (laughs) That was me. Uh, And there were so many parallels between my father's life and my life. But anyway, at one point, right before Thanksgiving one year, she said, I have something I want to send you. And I said, Oh, what is it? She said, I bought it at a garage sale. I thought it looked good over the toilet. And it's a little decoupage plaque about the size of a pencil box, I guess. And, uh, it has a rose on it and below the rose is a name. Would you like to know what the name is? And I said, what's the name? The name is Jody, J O D Y. Mm -hmm. Now my birth family did not know I had been born. They did not know I existed. And my father's wife had purchased this 13 years before I walked back into their lives. Oh my goodness. And all of a sudden I know the plans I have for you for good and not for evil just come roaring back, you know, and, right. and you know, right. the, the, the idea that our life is a tapestry and when we're standing behind it, it really doesn't make sense. We have to step up, step out in front before the picture becomes clear. You know, we've all heard that sermon before and all of a sudden I went, mm. whoa. <laughs> you know, So yeah. I have that plaque hanging in our kitchen now. You know, I think a lot of people wrestle with who they are and it's, uh, it seems to me as a pastor, I've, uh, in, in talking with people across time, there's, there's a tendency to err on one side or the other. <laughs> Either you, are, you, are, um, you have a fixed identity that's based upon your blood family or your family of origin, so to speak, or yeah. the, the human connection that you have in your family, even in your adopted family, or you try to run so far away from that that you oh. spiritualize it. And you say, I, I'm on my own here. I'm a child of God, and I don't need to worry about that. But there, there is a sense in which blood and spirit have to come together somehow. Uh, oh, yeah. Right? And, yeah. and I think you're an example of that in that uh, you, you found, uh, it, it seems to me, even though you were a person of faith and you, uh, you, you had that foundation, uh, your, 
fa the failure to sort of get a grip on who you were in terms of your uh, human identity and family was a, a big factor in your figuring out who Jody Dean really is. Well, you know, I had a friend when I was in high school and back in church youth group who co compared me to the Apostle Peter, and I didn't realize at the time that wasn't necessarily a compliment <laughs> uh, because, you know, Peter was, he was all over the road, really. Yeah. But the one thing he always was was willing. And so I don't know that, you know, I, I even hesitate to use the word faith because my faith is very weak. I mean, mm -hmm. but my trust is very strong. Okay. And and I don't know why that is. Um, you know, as a child of adoption, uh, trust is a hard thing to come by because we grow up really not knowing where we fit sometimes. Mm -hmm. And and so for whatever reason, I, I, I just think the only thing I can say is that based on the evidence in my life, uh, you know, I trust God. Mm -hmm. I don't always do what he wants me to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, somebody asked me about my faith walk, and I said, it's been more like a run, because <laughs> most of the time I've just been running off doing what I wanted to do, you know, grabbing the sword and swinging for Malchus's head. I, it wasn't like he was aiming for the ear. I was going for the throat, yeah. uh, and I was going to do what I wanted to do and thought I was smart enough to get away with it in many cases. And, uh, you know, there's God right there behind me, reminding me one way or the other, sometimes gently, sometimes not, um, I'm here. And that's really, and, and you know, it, it, I've never, lately during the, the COVID-19 crisis, you know, one of the verses that keeps coming back to me is that verse in Deuteronomy where God reminds the people of Israel that their clothes didn't fall off their backs and their shoes didn't wear off on their feet. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that's kind of, the relationship I've had. And sometimes he just reminds me, I've never let you down. I'm never going to let you down. Some days I may send you a lesson. You know, that's another verse that's come to me through this whole thing is that moment where the Israelites are complaining about the food. Yeah. I mean, they've just been released from slavery and they're, you know, there's right. out in the wilderness and they're griping about this food sucks. And I mean, <laughs> is that so us? Yeah. I, that's, that's to me, that's the humanity and the mischief of God. And that's one reason I, I tend to listen to him more now than as I get older than not, because who would put that in a book about themselves? Right, you know I mean, right. who would really, that's not something you want. My people were griping about the food. Well, I've griped about the food and all I can hear sometimes is dad say, yeah, but it's good for you. You know, it's good. For you know, you. I think that's one of the beautiful things about the Bible is how honest it is. I mean, I would probably whitewash a lot of things in my life, oh. in, in my story, if I were writing uh, scripture uh, somehow and, and just give the, the highlights and the good things. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because so many people say, well, you can't possibly think you're an, I don't think I'm an example, really, I don't. I, right. I tell people I'm an expert in failure, uh, and I mean that, and I don't think that I'm all that, as it were, but I do think God is, and I think that I am one of the better examples around of using foolishness to confound the wise, because you are looking at the biggest fool you'll talk to today. Well, there's an awful lot of scripture coming out of your mouth, Jody Deed, so I, I do hear that you have that good foundation. That's, uh, that, well, that's great. I, yeah, I love to read it. I, I mean, I've got my Harper Study Bible from college, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, I had a good friend named J.D. Richmond. He's one of the most brilliant men, one of the sweetest men, one of the most eccentric human beings I've ever known in my life. If you ever go to the Fort Worth Zoo and you see the big cat diorama, he built that. Hmm. And uh, he built a lot of other things. Fort Worth Botanic Garden, he built part of that. And I asked him one time, how come you never put a sign out that says, this is what you built? And he goes, because I wanted to look like God did it. I mean, he's just, <laughs> he spent 45 years 
and used a roll of butcher paper to create his own interlinear Bible. And he would cut out oh, pages from different translations and paste them in corresponding places on his butcher paper. It used 45 years of his life to do that. And I remember I'd have breakfast with him every Saturday morning before he went home. And I said, uh, you know, this is pretty remarkable that you're this way. He goes, well, I want to know more about my friend, you know? And uh. so I've, I've, one thing for whatever reason, in spite of myself, I've always tried to, talk to people who are smarter than I am. Whenever I have a problem or a decision to make, I go get counsel. Mm. And he was one of those guys, I was at a church retreat one time and he was walking out the door and a friend of mine said, now there goes a giant right there. And I just knew I had to meet him. And, uh, you know, he, he taught me, I could tell you stories about JD that would just make you stand up and cheer. I mean, he was, he was, he would park outside the jail every Sunday morning and wait, and then he'd see, wait for that right person. And then go, you're coming with me to breakfast. You know, oh, <laughs> just that's, that's the way he was. Well, we're here talking to Jody Dean and Jody, uh, I, I want to take you back just a little bit because the, the story of finding your birth parents, uh, is, is interesting. I think. Uh, because many people listening to this or watching our program uh, will have experiences with adoption. And uh, you, you mentioned that even though you had this wonderful family that, that adopted you, you had some trust issues uh, that, mm -hmm. that are probably rooted in this feeling that a lot of people who are adopted have this sort of lurking internal sense of abandonment. Uh, that they they have uh, they have the fear of being left. They have uh, you know these kind of things that they aren't even necessarily conscious of. Mm -hmm. And now now that we have open adoption uh, laws that allow people to to uh, find uh, their their birth families, what did it mean for you uh, spiritually and in terms of your personal sense of place in the world to learn your story? Wow. Well, it finished the picture. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had a lot of missing pieces. Um, there were other things that had happened in my life. I'm a sexual abuse survivor. Uh, yes. I was uh, abused by a neighbor between the ages of three and five. And my, my adoptive mom chose never to tell me that because they were mm -hmm. from a generation where you just pretended it didn't exist and it will go right. away. And it didn't. It, you know, mm -hmm. it fractured me in many ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had to ask later on, what did you do? And she said, well, we moved. And, of course, my birth nature kicked in and I said, well, why were we the ones who had to move? Yes. You know, so there was a lot of reconciling that had to go on there. But uh, I, I think, you know, completing that picture and finding forgiveness, uh, you know, people, my pop was not the warmest person on the planet. Um, he was, he was like playing for Bear Bryant. You know, he was a tough World War II, Great Depression guy, self-made, all of that sort of thing. And it had endured all, I saw him cry twice in my life. I saw him, mm -hmm you know, tear up just twice. And I don't know that he ever told me he loved me, but I realized at some point that we, we can only build with the tools in our box. And for me to hold him accountable for tools he did not have was unfair. And considering the tools that he did have, he did the best job he possibly could. And so all of a sudden I stopped and I'll tell you who taught me that lesson was my oldest son. I was chewing him out one day on the phone. He was off at college and he just stopped me and said, dad, I'm not you. And that logic was inescapable. I went, well, he was right about that. And it changed not only how I parent, but how I remember my parents. Uh -huh. And I stopped trying to hold them to my standards and stopped trying to say, I'll tell you this about being adopted. You know, we're all in one way or another, we are all adopted. I mean, particularly those of us who, who, uh, 
proclaim Christ as our as our Savior. Uh, you know, I've been adopted by so many people, so many coaches, so many congregations, so many bosses, so many coworkers, so many friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm an honorary Jew. I think I'm an honorary Muslim. I've spoken in mosques and synagogues and, you know, I mean, I'm welcomed. Right. And, you know, I look at that and I go, who am I that literally this was on a plaque. I used to own a house in another part of town and I actually had a plaque made and put on the house and it says, who am I that you have brought me this far? And I can't get over that. You know, I just, I cannot get over that the life that I've been given. And I cannot escape the idea that it, there's some reason for it outside of myself. Um, it's not just for my glory. I mean, goodness, I hope not. I mean, if that's all there is, it's not worth it. Uh, if, if all this pain and all these bad choices and all these wrong roads and all these poor decisions, nobody's going to care about my successes. Mm-hmm. But we can all identify with our failures. Mm-hmm. And I think that I've been allowed to screw up as many times as I have so I can speak to people who are wondering if they've screwed up too badly. Yes. And I'm here to tell you that I don't know that you can. I think that there's always a, a door open and a way back. And if nothing else, there's someone on whose shoulder you can lean. And, I, and that to me is if there's anything that I can derive from my foolishness, it's that maybe my foolishness will be of some comfort to someone else. You know, Father Richard Rohr is um, a Franciscan monk uh, in Albuquerque, and he's written a book called Falling Upward. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and he, it, you know, it's, it's sort of that second half uh, kind of language about life in which he talks about how we don't really fully understand uh, the Christian life, uh, the, who we are, uh, until we come to that time in our life when we hit bottom, when we lose it all, when we, oh. when we accept our sense of, of failure and our full humanity, and then we really have a choice. Are we going to fall down or are we going to fall up, right? And, and yeah. your, your story is very much about coming to grips with that. Uh, four marriages and uh, uh, oh, lots boy, of yeah. jobs coming and going and those sorts of things. So tell us, tell us about how you, your spiritual awakening that happened in sort of midlife uh, was a kind of falling upward. Well, my spiritual awakening happens every day. You know, I, had a, I had a friend not long ago who said, jokingly, you have a lot of experience with, with forgiveness. And I said, only every other hour. Uh, you know, it's amazing when I talk about, nobody wants to read my resume. I don't even want to read my resume. It reads, my, it reads like my mom wrote it. You know, it's like, <laughs> did this, did this, did this. Right. Uh, but when I talk about, he screwed this up, he messed this up, he jack this up. Then I get emails and I get phone calls from people who say, you know, I've done the same thing. And um, there's a guy in town uh, is a friend of mine. I've known him since I worked in the nightclubs. Imagine that a church of Christ kid going to work as a DJ in the nightclubs. That was a good idea. (laughs) Um, But we've known each other since then. And he's been through an awful lot. And I remember um, several years ago after I, I, you know, I had my one of my more recent epiphanies, uh, he said, you know, what you had to say really encouraged me. And I thought that never would have happened if I'd have only talked about, you know, whatever successes I've had, you know, it's the screw ups that people identify with. And I think that's why if you look at the, uh, if you look at the characters, the figures in the Bible, that, uh, that they're, they're not perfect. They're, 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 total jack wagons most of them i mean and you wouldn't hire them to do the most menial job and yet these people are given authority well it the authority comes from the acknowledgement of their mistakes you know and the day is young i'll probably make 
you know, plenty today too. And forgiveness is continual and, you know, it, it can't be earned. It, there's nothing I can do to, when people tell me, oh, you deserve to be happy. I'm sorry, George. I just want to smack them. <laughs> I really, really, that's the Peter coming out. I just want to yeah. hit them because it's like, right. no, I, I know what I deserve. This is not it. It's yeah. way better. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, it's our, it's our flaws. It's our foolishness. It's our mistakes that, that really, you know, I've heard people, I heard my mom wail prayer not not you know almighty father blah, blah blah all that and that's fine in a certain context i do that too but when there are no words and this this groan comes from i've been there too you know i you know after the failure of one of my marriages i was at a budget suites in near six flags and i it got so bad that i had to sleep with a bible under my pillow because i was terrified of sleep I, the, mm. the, all this stuff would come rushing back to me in the night that i could mm. push away in the in the daylight and i would find myself on the floor and i still do sometimes i mean there are days mm. when i just there's no words that can express you know the groanings that we all feel and you know i've there have been times when I cuss in a prayer. I'm sorry. I'm probably not supposed to do that. But again, I don't think it's like God has never heard it before. Like, well, the why Psalms in, are that way, aren't they? I mean, yeah, the why are in just, the you know, hell are you letting yeah. this happen? You know, right. and he lets us mm -hmm. get that out and let, lets us vent mm -hmm. and, and stands there and says, keep going. Keep going. You know, I mean, who, who does that? It, it is really fascinating that as a pastor, I experienced this too. I know that when you are expressing openly your weakness, your vulnerability, uh, people really identify with you and, and, and they, they, they think somehow that you are being more authentic. And, <laughs> and, and, and here I am preaching and thinking, no, this is really not about me. It's about God. It's about Christ. And I, yeah. I shouldn't be talking too much about myself. And it's not something I really like doing. But it is fascinating how people really do hold on to that when you are willing to be honest about uh, who you are and what you're dealing with. Yeah, when I, one of those epiphanies along the way, one of the people I sought out was one of my favorite preachers, one of my favorite ministers, a guy named Rick Ashley at the Hills Church in North Richland Hills. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he, you want a gut check. I mean, he is the book of James on two legs. He is... Mm -hmm. There's nothing soft about what he'll say to you when you ask his opinion. He'll give mm -hmm. it to you. Yeah. And he did, and it helped me grow. But he uh, has a saying that I, I'll never forget. Uh, one of his say sayings is, uh, some days I wake up and I just don't feel all that holy. Mm. You know, I mm -hmm. just don't. And, mm -hmm. and believe me, when people say, well, you're just trying to be holier than thou. No, 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 no. I, if, mm -hmm. if anything, I want people to know it's that I am not on my own, of myself, holy. Mm -hmm. I'm a holy, holy an idiot sometimes. There's no doubt about that. But yeah, I, I, the idea that anything I have to offer is glorious. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't come from me. Whatever, it's, it's, if I stumble into it, it's only because God has set the stage for me to walk out on it. And uh, I, I hold myself in no regard. I really do not. Jody, over the course of time, though, you've, you've been a public personality, a celebrity locally, at least, and, uh, and, and people know who you are. And uh, it's probably, you know, I experienced this a little bit as a pastor in the sense that you're, you're, you're sort of a public figure. And the, the temptation to, 
to for a pastor is you know to sometimes sort of feel like okay so jesus saves but please remember that you heard it from me (laughs) (laughs) i'm stealing that that's great uh but uh but but i wonder what the that there's there's a temptation probably in the spiritual life to get caught up in celebrity to well to to see your identity and to sort of protect that and and that kind of works against the spiritual life itself doesn't it? i've i've seen that in uh, let me tell you from my part Mm-hmm. my ambitions have never been along the lines of being a celebrity. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do the job because of the people who did the job before me. Yep. Uh, but I became fanatical about it because I believe so strongly. I became a professional legalist mm. and I alienated a lot of people along the way because I so completely believed in the way that I'd been taught to do it, that that's mm-hmm. how it was going to be. And if you didn't do it that way, you weren't worth speaking to. As far as celebrity goes, being in the limelight, being in the spotlight, really never had anything to do with it. I'm always more comfortable. I've always been more comfortable being behind the scenes as a producer. Uh, as I, I love the, the moment where we produce something and somebody hears it and they like it and they say something, but they don't know I had anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Those are the moments that I really cherish the most. What I did do, and this is just as bad as pursuing fame or celebrity or notoriety, is I did it for approval. Uh-huh. I wanted to make sure because of my background as an adoptee, because of mm-hmm. those sorts of things that I was too good to be given away, mm. wow. that there was no way you could get wow. rid of me again. Wow. That drove everything that I did. It, it's driven just about everything I have done. And of course that warps reality over time. And you go looking for things that can't give you away or won't give you away, or even worse, that you can leave at a time of your own choosing like four marriages. I told my youngest son recently that there's not a single relationship that I've had over the years that couldn't have been saved if I'd have just worked a little harder at it. But what I did do was I gave those relationships away before they could give me away. I was, it was all about control. It wasn't about celebrity or the spotlight or any of that stuff. It was about, I'm going to assert my control and get even for what Mm -hmm. I felt like had been done to me, even though I had a great childhood and wonderful upbringing and wonderful parents and everything else at heart, I felt worthless. Mm. And I think, you know, I think that was part of what drove the anger, the misogyny, the philandering, everything else. And, you know, it's still to this day, you know, I have to, I have to remind myself that, you know, that, dude, Look how many people have taken you in. Stop worrying about whoever gave you away. You know, it's and right. and and think about why they did it. it they did it mm-hmm. for your own. Yeah, you know, it's like we don't like the food. Yeah, but it's good for you. You yeah. know, yeah. this yeah. this was the food that I needed. This was the manna that I needed. And whether right. I want to complain about it or not, it the the, the creator, the cook, knew the nutrition that I required. Well, this this takes me back to your comment about uh, the the metaphor of adoption for spirituality. And, mm-hmm. and, and that is to say that, you know, we, we, we all are in a sense, uh, the, the Bible says flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a sense in which spiritually we have to come to this place to realize that uh, it's, it's not rooted in us. It's rooted in the one who ad- adopts us, the, the one who, yeah. who brings us together. Uh, Jody, this has uh, been a fascinating conversation. I want to come back and have a second episode with you and talk a little m- bit more about what's happening now and the, the, the public connection uh, to uh, your work. Uh, but uh, to, to summarize this, I, I want to say thank you for staying on the journey. 
of faith and <laughs> well, continuing to me, learn. He won't let me off. You know, right. I tried to, you know, it's just the dead gummit people say, we're so glad you found Jesus. I wasn't looking. Yeah. You know, he was right, right. there, yeah. you know, and I turn around, I go, Oh, hello. And uh, yeah, as, as far as I run, somehow he chases. Right. So if you're, if you're wondering why you feel far from God, who moved, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Jody, and uh, look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, George. Appreciate All it. Right. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Good God. We're grateful to provide this for you during this time of COVID-19 isolation. And we hope that it is a consolation to you during this time. There have to be lots of ways that we reach each other. And even though we can't be in a studio as we normally are producing these, we're finding the technology using Zoom and, and communicating it to you through this programming. Uh, we hope that you'll find it to be encouraging to you as we make our way through these difficult days. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2020 by Faith Commons.